Hello, hello, welcome back. It is officially mid-July. Oh my goodness me, what happened? (laughs) I hope you are having a lovely summer break wherever you are. I think most of the Northern Hemisphere is now on summer break. I know it happens in different places in different countries. This is one of the things I love so much about my job because I get to work with women all over the world. I'm like, little idiosyncrasies like that. Like we actually all take summer break at different times. Not to mention what goes on in the Southern Hemisphere. I work with many people in the Southern Hemisphere. A few, South Africa, Australia, but you know, small, small numbers. (laughs) If you would like to change that, do let me know. Um, I'm always open to welcoming more women into my programs especially my Little Leadership Academy from all over the world. Just drop me a message if you are interested. But let's get on to today's conversation. I am absolutely delighted, honoured and thrilled to bring today's guest with you. Today, you are going to get to meet the simply extraordinary coach, Emma Weiner. I have had the privilege of knowing Emma for nearly a year now. We met because we're both coached by the same business coach, the amazing Corey Javid. Corey, if you ever listen to this podcast, you know I adore you. But Emma and I are both coached by Corey, and so we're in a mastermind together. You know I'm a big believer in masterminds. But Emma is a voice coach. She is a voice coach who works with leaders in particular. And over the last month or so, at the time of recording this anyway, Um, I was recorded a little bit ahead of schedule, but at the time of recording this intro, Emma and I have been working for a short amount of time. Um, She is helping me with my voice for speeches. And oh my goodness me, this woman, she's extraordinary in everything she does. She is passionate about giving women a voice at work, using that to up level, to have the confidence. This woman has it all. And I am so thrilled that she is coming on the show today to talk to you about being heard at work, about creating great communication, about ensuring that you get heard for all the right reasons. Um, So I'm just beyond thrilled to get her on the show. But let me tell you a little bit more about her because I've just told you all the things that I I know about her, but we do have some official stuff for you. (laughs) Um, I love the way she introduced herself. She has a gloriously squiggly career. I think she actually said that in the interview. She started off in pharmaceutical sales, then she trained as a speech and language therapist. But after a short time working for the NHS, she became operations director in a successful event business, very, very squiggly at this point, before finding her true passion and training as a voice coach at the prestigious Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in the UK. She brings with her a wealth of all that knowledge to help women raise their visibility and credibility at work by amplifying their ability to be heard and cultivating thoughtful leadership in both the corporate and entrepreneurial worlds. Without further ado, let's get her on the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Show Emma, it's so good to have you here. Thank you, Tony. It's lovely to be here. 
to start every single interview on this show, I would love for you to start with your career journey, highlights, some lowlights, because I think they're quite telling, and why you're now passionate about giving women a voice at work. Absolutely. Okay, so I generally tell people that I've had a very squiggly career, and that used to be something I was mortally embarrassed about. Um, you know, I had friends who decided they were going to be doctors and lawyers, and off they went and they did that thing, and and I didn't do that. I trained originally as a speech and language therapist, and I absolutely loved the work. But I and I say this feeling very uncomfortable having two parents who worked in the NHS their entire lives. I found working in the NHS really difficult. It wasn't it wasn't the place for me. I found the whole decision by committee process for everything so frustrating. Um, so whilst I loved the work, I left and I joined a startup. Um, we were delivering global events for uh, pharma and law, and it was so much fun. And I, when I joined, there were six people. When I left a decade later, there were 30 full-timers, a plethora of freelancers, and I was operations director. So my job had changed completely by that stage. And my responsibility with the clients was really looking after their messaging. They were flying people around the world. It was costing a fortune. And so how could we made, measure ROI for them? So my job was to make sure that the messaging was really consistent. What did they want their audience to be thinking, feeling and doing before, during and after their event? And that meant I got to work with their speakers to make sure they were on point. They were delivering the messages and I loved, loved that bit of my job. It really kind of lit me up. But I felt like a total fraud the entire time. This is about 20, 20 plus, let's just say 20 plus years ago. <laughs> 20 plus years ago. And I didn't know about imposter syndrome then, uh, but I definitely had it. And then I had my kids and I just couldn't keep doing the travel. It was a bit brutal. So I decided to sell my shares in that company. And I went to Central School of Speech and Drama. And I did a master's degree in voice coaching training. So now that I've, I have a scientific understanding of how voices are made inside a body, how we engage an audience using the, the sort of ideas around theatre practice, and I've worked in the public sector and the private sector, I bring all of that to bear and I help women raise their visibility and their credibility at work through how they communicate. So how they use their body, their breath, their voice, and then obviously the things that they actually say as well. And I love it. Absolutely beautiful to hear that story for so many reasons. First of all, that you embraced a squiggly career, even if you didn't at the time that you do now, because so many of the women I work with think that they're somehow broken because they've not been on this clear trajectory, or they will say to me, I can't possibly be that because I didn't do this when I was 21. And I'm like, that's complete BS. <laughs> yeah. um, we can do anything we want. We can reinvent ourselves at any point. And we can take a look at what's happened to us and think, you know, what, I want something different and not make that wrong. And so I love that you embrace that. But I also love that passionate about helping people find their voice. And um, the audience doesn't know this, but you're actually working with me on the way I speak and delivering speeches, even though, you know, I have a podcast. I've been doing this kind of thing for years. I've been doing keynote speaking for nearly a decade. And I thought I was pretty damn good at it. And yet... <laughs> working with you and I'm like oh there's a very long way to go still do you find that you work with people all the way across the spectrum from people who are very nervous public speakers don't know how to even have a meeting at work without the nerves really damaging them all the way up to like really experienced people like what kind of spectrum do you work on yeah I'd say 
I think there's three tipping points where there are people that I interact with. So the first tipping point is, like you say, people who are incredibly fearful of speaking. So they're, they're, they get quite distressed, I would say. There's a physical and emotional distress about having to speak up. You know, they're waiting in a meeting. They can see it's coming around to them and then they're starting to get shaky and sweaty. They Their throat clams up and they can't get the words out. And it's just, it's really unpleasant. And there's a lot of procrastination and perfectionism that goes on in preparing for them to speak. And so I'd say at that point, when somebody says to themselves, this is enough, enough already, then they come to me. They, they sort of get themselves out of this frustration, um, stagnation and recrimination cycle that they can get stuck in. So I'd say that's the first tipping point. The second tipping point, I think, is when people perhaps step into their first manager or leadership role and suddenly they know they've got to up the ante. And whilst they can get by and they're perfectly good, they know it's not quite good enough for where they are or where they want to go. So they they tend to come to me at that point and go, I can do it, but I don't love it. And, you know, can you help me love it a little bit more or at least not feel quite so uncomfortable when I'm doing it? Mm. And then the final group of people who uh, that come to me are people who have a very clear North Star. So they are saying, I'm going to be doing live TV in the next year. I'm going into politics. I'm doing a TED talk. You know, So they have a very clear North Star. They know what they want to do. And therefore, they're looking for that, that coaching to really finesse their communication style. So they're perfectly good. They would be good without coaching, but they know they, that good is not quite where they want to be. They really want to be on their A game. So I'd say those are the three tipping points. Fearful, really wanting to improve, having a North Star, like, no, I'm going there and I need some help on the way. That is fascinating because, I mean, it's exactly the kind of flavours that I see in the work I do, which, you know, there is some overlap there is less of a focus particularly on voice, but presence, I would say, in the boardroom. And again, there's those, it's very early. I, I kind of want more, but I'm scared. All the way through to, I have CEOs and C-level executives work with me who are just like, no, I am here to do something better. I need to absolutely be on point. And your comment there in the North Star, it's the same phrase that I use. And given how long we've known each other, I wonder if I stole that from you at some point. <laughs> having that North Star and using that as your momentum to push you forward to do something uncomfortable, such as deciding for me to to work on my speaking, to work on how I can influence people for the betterment of the human race, essentially. That's why I do what I do, right? Um, about why voice is so important. Um, particularly at work, because this audience listening today is primarily interested in voice at the workplace. But just in general, why, it may sound obvious, but why is voice so important to us? Okay, well, let's, let's start with sort of really sort of macro picture of it. And and I think your audience more than many audiences will understand this completely. It's like, you know, life now has become one where tech is so integrated with what we do. You know, AI is absolutely a part of everyday life and it will only ever that will only ever increase so at some point our technical skills even if you have a very technical job at some point there is some likelihood that AI or tech will take over the ability to do your job so we can we can never we will be outstripped by tech at some point so the way to future-proof your career 
from my perspective, is to make sure that your tech skills are as, as good as they can possibly be. But actually, it's your adaptive skills, those those skills that used to be called soft skills, which I think is a really rubbish name. Let's be honest. It's a rubbish name for what they are. I just have to jump in there and, and say, I call them real skills because I'm like, they're so fundamentally important. Uh, just I, I had to just pop that in there because I get kind of angry, a little bit angry anyway, when people call them soft skills because it diminishes them, right? Totally. I totally agree. I heard them once described as power skills and I liked that as well because they can be Ooh. really powerful. But I know power can be a triggering word for many people. So, you know, look, at the end of the day, if we can deal with human beings who are messy, you know, we are ambiguous, there's uncertainty, then we can do things that AI can't do. If we can deal with human beings with real empathy and we can deal with them and we can communicate um, and inspire them, these are things that tech will never be able to do because it can't feel in the way that human beings can feel. So we're much more able to deal with nuance. And there's a real, in my mind, there's a real connection between the quality of your communication and the quality of your results. If you're not very good at communicating, on the whole, we all have to work with other people. You know, even in the most uh, non-hierarchical organisations, we're working in real matrix situations, which are much more complicated because there's not necessarily a clear chain of command. So the quality of our ability to communicate what's working, what's not working, of fixing relationships that have gone a little bit wonky, that will really determine our results. And over time that is going to become the skill that's going to differentiate individuals, teams, and organizations. You know, I mean, you know what it's like. I'm sure your listeners do too. You know, you ring up, you want to talk to somebody at the bank and you get an AI system for a period of time. You just, I just want a human being. I just need help. So I think that having those skills, those communication skills will stand you personally in good stead, but also your your organization too. And then I think that's why organizations need to focus on really building up strong communication skills across the board and up and down the chain of command. I think particularly here for leaders, which is obviously the majority of the women listening to this audience, whether they are individual contributors, but providing thought leadership and strategic direction from that point of view, or they are leaders, people leaders of whatever form or function. Our job as leaders are never going to go anywhere. As long as the human race is deciding its direction rather than technology, like the whole Terminator thought comes to mind here. But I love a good bit of sci-fi me. Um, But as long as we are determining our future, humans will need to negotiate with each other, say, this is what I believe we need to be doing. Here's why. And that even if we no longer do the programming ourselves or building the hardware ourselves or even inventing the hardware we will still be responsible for steering the ship. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. I I cannot envisage a point where that won't be our responsibility. And the better you are at connecting with humans and the, the people around you, especially in those messy middles, especially when there is ambiguity and uncertainty and the quality of your communication is high, that's when you're going to be really, really successful. Your team are going to be successful. And not only that, you're modelling incredible communication so that through the process of you being a great communicator, you're modelling what it can look like to everybody else around you. And therefore, it, it's only good for the organisation. 
So the next thing I want to move on to is something that you call the default communication system. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, sure. So this is not going to come as a surprise to most people. We all have a default communication approach, uh, probably one that we've never thought about, but we do. And it's all, it grows out of our environment. So it grows out of our experience of life. It grows out of our beliefs. So that could be beliefs in terms of how the world works, cause and effect. It could be beliefs around faith. It could be beliefs about yourself. So all of those things create what's called your motivational value system. So how you're motivated to behave in the world. And now part of that behavior, obviously, is communication. So we all have a default communication strategy. Now, you'll see this show up. If you've never thought about it before, you'll see this show up. There are people in the world who you can talk to, who you meet, and it's like, yeah, this is just easy. There's a flow of communication. It's back and forth. It all makes sense. And then there's people in the world that you speak to and you're going to go, how did the message that came out of my mouth get translated into that? Uh, and you think, well, did I, you know, did I speak in Greek? What's what's happening here? And and there's a real disconnect between. Now, the chances are that when you're communicating in that fashion, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just that your default communication patterns are opposing. They don't make sense to each other. So it is literally like you've spoken another language. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, it's actually fascinating you say that because one of the things I insist on doing before I get anybody on this podcast is I meet them for a virtual coffee chat. But I want to make sure if I'm going to interview somebody for the podcast, that even if we disagree on things, which people are very welcome to do, I'm quite an opinionated person, but that we understand each other. We have some form of chemistry that allows us to have that back and forth. And I think that's something a lot of people don't recognize is, is needed in the way we operate. Obviously, there are things we can be doing to improve how we communicate with others. But I think recognizing that there's to have that ability to interpret each other rather than just dismissing it as either it is or isn't there is really important. Absolutely. And, and you know, that, that idea of disagreeing with people, I think, is so vital. We want I talk to I talk to a lot of the leaders that I work with um, about, you know, what we want is healthy opposition because if everyone agreed the entire time. We're never going to get mm. anywhere. The quality of our output is going to be diminished. So we want healthy opposition. We want to disagree, but not be disagreeable. But that has that can only really happen if you have an understanding of who you are and how you communicate and you have an, an appreciation of how other people communicate in the world. So in essence, we we tend to have a priority in our communication. So there's three main ones, there's seven that I talk about, but there's three main ones. So there are some people in the world whose communication will be focused around people. Now, you'll know those kind of people in your team. You'll lead those kind of people because they'll always say to you, how was your weekend? How's your dog doing? Is it is it better? I know it was sick. You know, they'll ask you questions. How was your birthday? They're asking mm. you questions. Their communication focus is generally primarily focused on the welfare and well-being of others. Now, there'll be other people that you talk to who are really focused on the goal, who really are, it's all about the results, it's all about performance, and you'll notice there's different kinds of language they use, their body language is different, uh, you know, it's really a little bit more about them. And there's also, you know, this is all on a spectrum, so there'll be extremes of all of these examples. And then finally, you have people who are really focused on the process. So, maybe a little quieter, you know, not the kind of person that would necessarily 
volunteer information in a meeting um but there's processing going on inside and you know if you're leading a group of people and you understand where you fit in all that spectrum because that will probably determine how often you're going to communicate in in a particular style so being aware that you might need to adapt your styles but also knowing knowing your team so that if you have got somebody who's quieter and needs a bit of time to process information going to them in the meeting and saying well what do you think tony is not necessarily going to get the right response you know it might be that i need to come find you afterwards and say hey tony you know we were talking about social i'd love to hear your thoughts you know i'll give you a day or two but you know let's talk and then you're going to get the information so really understanding you and understanding your group around you and understanding what the culture of your organization is because your organization will have a communication default mm. you know what that's like can really enhance the quality of the communication and decrease the amount of conflict that unwarranted conflict that that conflict that happens accidentally at work it can really reduce that oh so let's just talk briefly there about the communication culture of an organization uh, I've talked about this with a lot of my clients, but I don't think we talk about it enough as a society. The fact that culture isn't just about, you know, whether or not we have strategy meetings on a Friday afternoon, whether or not you get to take holidays at certain times, you know, it's not just that, it is how we communicate, whether it's verbal or written, but also actually the verbal, how that is done. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that shows up in a, a workplace and maybe if the culture isn't aligned with who we are. Yeah. So, okay. So that one of the easiest ways to, to do this would be to say, just look at it from a linguistic point of view. So if we had a very people-focused organisation, we would probably ask each other for help. Tony, can I get your help on this? Or Tony, I, I don't understand how this works. Can, can I just get some help with it? You would use the word help an awful lot. Now, if we were in a very performance-focused organisation, the chances of, of us using that word help would be significantly lower. Mm -hmm. you know, mm. If I went to somebody in a performance organisation and I said, listen, I really need your help, the chances are I'd be looked at as somebody who was perhaps a little bit weak or unable to do the job. But if I went to somebody and said, I've got a real challenge and, you know, I could definitely do with using your brain, picking your brain because you're super great at this kind of stuff. I'm much more likely to get a positive response. So if culturally my organisation only really ever communicates in that performance language and I happen to be a much more people focused person, I'm always going to feel excluded. I'm always going to feel on the outside and maybe a little bit um, got at on occasions or that I might be weak or I'm not enough. You know, and equally, if I'm a very, you know, in a, in a very people focused organization and I'm a performance driven person, I'm going to find this super fluffy, all this language about helping and asking me about my weekend. It's just like, guys, we just need to get the job done. So, you know, how the organization communicates to the entirety of its population is really critical. And it needs to have a really balanced approach between the performance, the process and the people. Because otherwise you will ostracize at least two thirds of the people that work for you accidentally. You'll never mean to, but you will do it accidentally. So making sure we've got that, that lovely balance of where are we going? How are we making sure everybody's getting there? And what are we doing? What's the process in order that everybody can get there is really important in, in all communication. But particularly if you're thinking about change communication, absolutely vital. 
That is fascinating that you just said, like, the, basically you said there's a three-way split, like it's roughly thirds. I hadn't actually appreciated that. I think, I mean, I'm aware of the process, the people and the performance focuses, but um, my experience tends to have been like the organization focuses on one particular thing. Um, and what you're saying is actually it should be a three-way split in the population. It's just that maybe we all like to hire people like ourselves. One of the things I'm trying to change, right? <laughs> so you're more likely to hire somebody. If you're performance, you're going to hire somebody who's performance focused. So how do you see this playing out at work? Are the highest performing companies the ones that have nurtured a true encompassing of that three-way split? Or do you see something else going on? Definitely. So the more we can appreciate, notice the 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 value in other people's opinions, the better the organization performs. So um, for a long time, uh, you know, Amazon was at the top of the, the um, highest performing companies list until they started looking at, because they were just looking at numbers. So that was a real focus on performance. And then they started looking at how the organization looks after the people within the organization, how it creates opportunities. And suddenly Amazon dropped down and, and other companies soared to the top because they were focusing on not just the results, but how people were treated and how they were developed as individuals and also looking at their processes so they were impacting uh, society in a good way. So they were behaving in a more sustainable fashion. And then suddenly those, those organisations flipped around, you know, and Amazon dropped right down. So it is really, really important from a sustainability perspective, not just, I don't mean just from an environmental perspective, but from, from reducing your churn, hiring the right kinds of people for the right kinds of jobs. I worked, this was many, many years ago now, but I worked for, for a while for a, a very, I'm just going to say a very fancy car company. And we were working with the board and they just fired their finance director. And so we were brought in to try and do some work with them. And when we did this assessment, it's like they were all in the performance area and the finance chap that they just fired was in the process area. And so he was ideal for to do that role. You need that in finance. <laughs> One of them very focused on process is the CFO. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they fired him because he wasn't the same as everybody else. And so they'd now put someone else into that role who wasn't suited to it, but was more like them. And he was really, really struggling. And so their performance massively dived because they hadn't got the right people in the right places. So it is vital for organisations to make sure that they're communicating and hiring, really important, and hiring and gathering the opinions of people who aren't like them because then the quality of the output of performance and of the people will be much, much higher. Yeah. I want to pick up briefly there on your point about sustainability there, because you mentioned that Amazon dropped down the performance ranks, but it was focused more on sustainability. And I think this is something that society needs to tackle urgently. We, It's very obvious with things like climate change. We have been operating in an unsustainable way. And the certainly the Western world has exploited resources and has realized that it's damaging the planet in a, in a way that's really negative. But Certain countries uh, where we are in particular, you know, one of the ones that's risen to the top as a result of exploitation of resources. And I think one of the dangerous things about the way we're measuring performance in the workplace is the burnout, the attrition. It's contributing, for example, to the fact that 51% of women leave tech by the midpoint in their career is the behavior of these companies that are so focused on performance. And yes, one or two companies can get away with it. 
but it's at the cost of everything else. And I think this is something that we need to reconcile. So if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I want to be one of those performing companies, you've got to recognize that that's going to fail at some point and it's going to fail horrendously, actually. Would you agree with that, Emma? Yeah, I think so. I think if you go back to that idea of our North Star that we were talking about earlier, you know, you can have a North Star set, well, that's where I want to go. So that's your performance idea. I want to be over there. But you get to choose the route. Absolutely. You get to choose how you go there. So you could build, absolutely, go, you know, go ahead, build a super um, a highway. You know, you can get your trucks on there. But know that by getting to the North Star that way, you are actually causing damage. Mm. So you will get what you want, but it will become at a big cost. Or you could choose the more circuitous, you know, picturesque route. But, you know, that comes back to this communication idea. It's like you you need to be able to communicate to your team, to your organization, to your customers, whatever it might be. Look, you know, we could do this much quicker and we could save you a few pounds here and there. But actually, we are choosing to take this route because we know overall mm. that is going to be better for all of us. And that will impact on the cost of your product or your service or whatever it might be. But we know with clear conscience that we're not doing any damage in that process but it comes back to that communication it's like if you can clearly communicate that I mean it's amazing because then you're going to differentiate yourself in the marketplace and there will be people like you and I who'll go yeah I'm going to choose the circuitous route because I don't want to be contributing to that super highway so I think it's it's going to be another one of those differentiators um, for the companies that are going to rise to the top and those that are going to fail in the next decade I think because people are have got to a point where they're not going to tolerate yeah. unsustainable practices for any longer, I don't think. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the women that are listening to the show, maybe the odd man too. We have we have some male allies that listen to the show. Um, what are your top tips for improving our communication at work and being better leaders as a result of this, including following a North Star that we feel is more aligned? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... I would say that the female leaders that I, particularly that I work with, are not immune to feeling like they're not up to the job. So I have had many women arrive who've got had PhDs, they've, you know, they have got so many qualifications and are outwardly look successful. Uh, and internally, they say to me, you know, it's like a swan, I'm paddling away underneath the water to try and keep this all together. So I would say the first thing we need to do as a leader is to notice the language that we're using to ourselves. So if you ever use self-depreciating language, if you notice there's a just, or I just want to say, or can I just add in all those linguistic hedges that we accidentally use, or if you say, find yourself saying to yourself, yeah, I will apply for that, but only when I've got this qualification or when I've got another couple of years or when if you're finding those kinds of reasons and you're telling yourself you're not ready, I would notice that kind of language. And I would notice any language that you have around proving. I'm going to prove that I'm going to prove I can do that job. I can prove to them that I can do this because in the first instance, we're underselling ourselves and in the second instance, we're, we're sort of rising to a challenge. Now, whatever you think will come out in your communication style. So if you're thinking those, un, you're using self-depreciating internal language or you're using that, I'm going to show them language, that is what your audience will see and hear in your body, in your tone and voice. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I do is notice the language that you use to yourself about yourself and just monitor it. Don't make yourself wrong for any of it 
but just notice, ah, oh, that's interesting. I used the word just again. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I said, I'm sorry. Can I just have a moment of your time? And we've linguistically hedged twice in that sentence rather than, Tony, I'd love to talk to you about X. Can I diarise some time? Totally different conversation. So mm. notice the language, first of all, because everything you think affects what you do with your body and how you sound. The second thing I think is around, again, is around the body. And sometimes what can happen is when we feel strongly about something, our energy rises up in our body. So it comes up towards the chest and up into the head because we're thinking very critically about how we want to make our argument. And so the energy comes up. And so I don't know if you can hear that there's a change in my voice. Mm. So it might sound a little bit more frenetic. It sounds a little bit more, and I'm going to use this emotional, which is something that women get accused of a lot at work, being being a bit emotional. So I would the second thing I would say is just get that energy back down in your body. And there's loads of different ways that you can do that. There's lots of different practices. But notice if you feel energy coming up into your chest, coming up into your throat, or that your head is now going, lots of stuff going on. We just want to bring that energy back down. It'll embody your voice and you'll sound more like the expert you are and your pace will slow. So there's lots of ways just to bring that energy down. Breathing is an absolutely brilliant way of doing that. And I generally say to people, if in doubt, breathe out. So if there's any point where you're like, I'm not quite sure what to do, just go. It releases tension in the body. It calms the mind and it tells the body when we breathe out, there's no danger. So it reduces mm. stress hormones and that kind of thing. So if in doubt, breathe out. Uh, obviously, if you're in a meeting, be careful that you don't sound like you're sighing with frustration. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened to me. I learned the breathing trick years ago and I use it extensively. And I have learned that one has to be cognizant when one is doing it in a room with other people. <laughs> you so, can still do breathing exercises, just a little bit quieter. <laughs> definitely. So here's, here's one you can do that's a trick that nobody will notice. So you take the pad of your thumb and you place it on your the nail of your forefinger. So the pad of your thumb on the nail of your forefinger, and then just gently run your thumb all the way down to the bottom of your finger. And it really brings the breathing down into your stomach. That's fascinating. And you could totally just do that in the office and you could do that on Zoom. Even while you're talking, you could do that. I mean, I'm doing it and I don't think you can, we're on camera for this actual recording, even though listeners can't see us. And I don't know, Emma can't see me because my thumbs are not on camera. I don't think I'm doing it right, but <laughs> I love that trick. That's great. Number three? Yes, number three. Number three, intention. So before you do anything, before you start to talk to anybody, before you present, before you do a team meeting, uh, before you go into interview anybody, what is your intention? Are you trying to educate? Are you trying to inspire? Are you trying to soothe, calm, reassure, whatever it is? Find the word for whatever it is you're trying to do, because that will then dictate your structure, your language, the energy that you need to bring to that room. It will really help you decide very quickly. You can do this in literally minutes. It will help you decide how you need to be, the person you need to be going into that room. And once you've got that clear in your mind, it means all the communication that you then deliver will be clear. So there'll be no mixed messages. Your audience will get what you mean much more quickly and you will feel like you're in control of the material rather than it being in control of you. Love that. I love all those tips. Let's move on to the quick fire round. 
so often I'm like, I could talk about this all day, but you know, let's keep this timely. So quick fly around, short, sweet answers. Give us a little flavor of who you are as a person. But um, some of my favorite questions up first, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, so when I started this business, somebody said, well, if you're going to run your own business, you should expect to work 40 to 60 hours a week. Oh my goodness. Worst piece of advice ever. Yes. hundred percent right there with you, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners will know that too. Listeners know I believe in like the less we work, the more we achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, this isn't business advice, but it's personal advice. And obviously what, however you think and feel about yourself affects how, how you show up for business. Mm. So it was when I was uh, doing my master's degree and one of my lecturers said, everything that you do and everything that you are is enough. And I can remember kind of looking at him and thinking, oh. what? <laughs> but it's just the best piece of advice. And I use it for myself and I use it for my clients. Everything you are and everything you do is enough. That's beautiful, actually. Really, really beautiful. Last book you read. Uh, well, still reading it. I'm re currently reading To Sell is Human by Dan Pink. Oh, is it good? I've not read that one. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, yeah, there's been a couple of like, oh, that's a really helpful way of phrasing that. That's a really helpful idea. Yeah. So I'm about halfway through, so I will keep you updated. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, the final thing I like to ask everybody on the show is about mindset. I like to give a mindset tip because I think as leaders, I think a lot of what you've talked about today actually stems from mindset. Mm. So what is your favorite mindset tip around us finding our voice at work? Okay. So Great speakers are made, not born. So we have a real temptation to look at good speakers, good communicators and go, oh, they find it so easy. They're a natural. They're amazing. But you just haven't seen their journey. You haven't seen them mess up. You haven't seen their tech fail. You've just seen the finished product. And it's really easy for us to say, well, I'm not like that. It's I can't have that. It's not the same for me. And I would disagree vehemently with that suggestion Great speakers are made, not born. Everybody can learn. Just like you can learn to ride a bike or make a brilliant cake or make a fantastic coffee, you can learn to be a really, really fantastic communicator. Oh, love that. Absolutely. I think we can learn everything and all these things that we are somehow woke up like this and there's nothing to do and therefore I can't become that. It's absolute BS. I love that. Yeah. Um, absolutely, completely love that one. Okay. How can people find out more about you, connect with you? I am a huge fan of yours as, as well as a friend. And I would, for anybody listening, if you are looking for somebody to help you with your communication, your public speaking, I can highly recommend Emma. Where can people find out about you? So uh, LinkedIn, I hang out on LinkedIn most of the time. You can find me there every day of the week. Otherwise, you can take a look at my website, which is www.speakingatwork.co.uk. And I will make sure both those links are in the show notes for our listeners. Have you any final thoughts, words of wisdom that you would like to share with us today? I think go back to that, if in doubt, breathe out. That is a lifesaver. Whoever you are, whoever you're talking to, if in doubt, just breathe out. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been wonderful conversation. I, I love every time I have a chat with you, whether you're coaching me, whether we're hanging out with friends or by the way, we actually, listeners, we have the same coach. That's how we met. <laughs> so we get to meet each other in our coaching calls with our coach as well. Um, and I can't get enough of this woman. This woman is extraordinary. Thank you, Emma, for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Tony, for having me. It's been brilliant.
And listeners, remember, as always, whether it's your communication, your leadership, or what you're planning to do next in your career, remember to stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.